Welcome to the future of NFTs, brought to you by Adlunum, the first engaged to earn proof of attention IDO launchpad. Hosted by co-founder Natya Bester, we bring you exclusive insights on NFTs, the revolutionary digital technology that's transforming the world as we know it. Hey, Web3 world, this is Natya Bester from Adlunum the all-in-one Web3 investment ecosystem, empowering early-stage startups through our Startup Accelerator, our monthly Web3 pitch arena, and our engaged-to-earn platform using proof of attention. And as always, welcome to today's show, where you are listening to The Future of NFTs, the show that looks beyond current NFT use cases to what non-fungible token technology is evolving into all this as seen through the eyes and built by the minds of the fascinating guest speakers that we speak to each week. Now, I don't say this too often, but if you're listening to this today, definitely make sure that you have a notebook nearby, because this is how I feel whenever I speak to Christopher. He drops spot-on insights almost with every sentence that, that he utters. So no pressure, Christopher, but I'm expecting this is going to be an electrifying show for those who are listening. So please, guys, welcome Christopher Lafayette, the founder of Gatherverse and Holopractice. Now, to get into the bio, it's going to require a bit of time, uh, so let's give it a moment. Christopher is an emergent technologist and humanitarian, deeply engaged in the sectors of the metaverse, AI, medtech, education, Web3, and applied sciences. His work touches everywhere from Silicon Valley, where he's currently based, to the international stage as a very passionate and outspoken advocate for a more equitable culture in technology, which is something we'll definitely be discussing today. Now, Gatherverse, uh, you might have seen around the internet, is Christopher's brainchild. It's a global ecosystem for thought leaders to come together to work on a more human-centric approach to the metaverse. Um, and we're definitely going to be diving into why this is important. Uh, Gatherverse includes regular gathers, an annual summit. And this is, I think, just a natural overflow from Christopher's overall involvement with community equity programs, which he can also talk about today. And then companies that he's worked with as an advisor and a collaborator includes literally the who's who of Fortune 100 and Fortune 500, Google, Meta, Microsoft, Salesforce, the NFL and the NBA if you're into sports, Stanford, UCLA, etc. The list literally goes on. And on top of that, because yes, there is more, Christopher is also the founder of Holopractice, which is a medical immersive incubator that bridges the gap between healthcare and technology. So you can see why I said you need to get a notebook because this bio alone, alone screams expert. So Christopher, as you can tell, I'm very, very happy to have you on the show today. Um, I think, you know, just really to kick us off, uh, because I want to get into why a human-centered approach to the metaverse and any technology or any political or social system for that matter is important. But I think let's start off just by giving ourselves a lift off from, you know, the right launch station. There's so many different definitions for this word, which is why we often see bad press and a lot of unfounded hype. But I want to kick off the conversation what is the metaverse? If we're going to be discussing this over the next hour, what should people understand as the metaverse? Well, first off, thank you for your real graceful introduction. And I'm really happy to be here with everybody today. I hope everyone's out there chopping wood and, right. you know, really taking advantage of their time that's given. You know, it's an incredible time for innovation, definitely a time for uh, introspection and a time for looking beyond what we've been building for all these decades, if you will. And so let's chop wood on this. So we talk about the metaverse, but <clears throat> first we have to take in consideration, what is the metaverse, right? It's still being defined. It's still colloquial and it's, and it's, it's not colloquial and it's phrasing and it's very loose, you know? So one of the things that I do take exception is when someone comes out with, you know, very stupid articles and coming out and just and let's put the gloves on and saying the metaverse is dead. Well, the net metaverse has never been officially in play to be dead in the first place. That's number one. 
Two, if we're talking about the metaverse as we know it today, that's good for the time now present, it's simply a virtual ecosystem of interaction and communication. But the reality is, is that the metaverse that is whole intended novel, call it, 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 and here's the deal. Are we talking about Ernest Klein's version of the so-called metaverse with the Oasis and the Ant? ontological anthropocentric simulation immersive system? Are we talking Roddenberry's metaverse? Or are we talking Neil's metaverse metaverse? And so when we start talking about these technologies, the most important thing that we must take in consideration is that when press comes out and says the metaverse is dead, what they're really saying is that when it comes to product delivery and availability and consumption standards, that's dead. But when we start talking about on the technical side, the metaverse is based on science and that's not dead. And so we really need to do a better job of differentiating when we start talking about technology versus product. There's a huge, great gulf fix and there's a huge dichotomy difference. And so for me, the better opportunity is for us to be able to iron this out and start to really talk about what we're not talking about as opposed to what we say we are talking about. And so I see a lot of people, especially uh, within the vertical industry of XR, for those that may not be familiar with terminology, XR meaning extended reality, you know, we start talking about spatial computing, we start talking about hyper-realistic immersive simulated environments and all the different things, and we'll lean in on that. But when we start talking about the metaverse as it is and the intention for what we're going to be using forward, because we've become more virtual in the past 38 months than we had the past 38 years, that's still being defined. So at best, I continue to say that it's just a virtual ecosystem of interaction and communication. Well, I think that definitely settles it. Uh, we we found our foundation, so that is an excellent start. Um, I wanna I wanna jump off from there because I think you mentioned something that is incredibly important as a definition. If you think about it as a virtual ecosystem of interaction and collaboration. I mean, the verbs, they scream connection between people. It screams the human element. So as much as we look now at this new wave of AI tools where everyone is going to be hyperproductive and, you know, you're going to replace 10 employees with one $20 tool, um, obviously the conversation has never been more pertinent than it is right now, that if we are going to continue to build our technology from the point where it is right now, I mean, spatial computing being the next frontier, but who knows as we become more immersively digital as beings, as, you know, I, I like to think of it as this sort of quantum identity where you have all of these different virtual selves and all of these selves have to coexist, but then you also have the physical self. And as we move more into the digital self, the, the lines really become blurred. So why is it so incredibly important, and as you say, to focus on what is not being spoken about? Um, why do we need to make technology human-centric? Well, one of the things is, is that we have to understand that we're going through a renaissance phase. And in order to be able to better appreciate the magnitude where we're at today, you know, a lot of people, especially so-called technologists, are really stuck when it comes to ethnography and where we come from. What's the original intent for why we built what we're building and why we innovate, why we hack and disrupt and code and make and break and do all the things that we do uh, contemporary our time. And to be able to better appreciate that, we need to go a little bit further back. And so that kicks us all the way back to, let's not go too far back, we'll go, let's say farming, you know, the farming, you know, revolution. You know, we go through the farming revolution and then that leads us into the industrial revolution. And then that ultimately brings us into a real game shift change when we come into the 90s, which is the technology revolution, which many of us called the information age. Well, just to put in an appreciable amount, when we got to the information age, the information age, and what happens when a lot of people get information? Well, they begin to build. And so what ended up happening is in the 90s, we had this incredible renaissance of explosion of startups that came on the scene. But the problem is, is that these startups were operating based on industrial age standards. This is really when we start delving into what we call Web 1. So then we get into 2000, where there was this huge bubble that bursted in Silicon Valley. And not just Silicon Valley, but transcontinental, transmetropolitan. This bubble burst. And so we had to go through a refinement and a revision stage over the next seven years. Seven years after that, 
Come September 2007, a man by the name of Stephen Jobs stands on a stage at Apple and says, I have a thing called an iPhone. And that's what subsequently led us into the applications renaissance. So where am I going with this? In order for us to be able to take advantage of regeneration, just like we see the word regenerative thrown out there, whether that's regenerative agriculture, regenerative sustainability, or whether that's dealing with uh, generative free train transformers, we start looking at AI and regenerative art. In order for us to be able to come into a full appreciable amount of what regeneration has to offer, we must go through a degeneration. That means there must be a disruption in order to be able to appreciate that which is superseding it, that former thing. It's the same thing when we start talking about Web 1, 2, 2.5, and 3. In order for us to fully be able to appreciate decentralized stations within Web3, which we're not completely arrived at, a lot of these companies that say that they're completely decentralized, the majority of them are centralized. But anyway, that's a whole different story. NFTs, DAOs, DAPs, and all the different things we start talking about with crypto assets and meme coins and altcoins and layer one and layer two, and we could go the distance on that. Really, we're in an intermediary phase of a 2.5 because we are going through a decentralization, excuse me, we're going through a degeneration to better appreciate the regenerated. However, before there was the regenerative stage of the degeneration precursor, all of that was pro-generated. So there's pro-generation, degeneration, and regeneration. And so right now, we have to go through this natural refinement process to better understand exactly what it is that we're not saying so that we could better get closer to what we are saying. And that is going through what we call the trough of disillusionment. If we start looking at the uh, peak of inflative interest, trough of disillusionment, plateau of productivity into the slope of enlightenment really has a lot to do with the hype cycle. But even the hype cycle by Gartner has been disrupted severely because we did not realize that once we got through the applications renaissance, that good technology is superseded by great technology and great technology is superseded even by better technology. And this is what we commonly refer to here in Silicon and elsewhere as the disrupt itself. But we did not know that the greatest disruption contemporary to our time would not be technology. Because the greatest disruptor contemporary to our time has been the pandemic. And that has led us into a sea, shift, sea change shift of the way that we work. Remote distributed workforces and product delivery teams are working from their living rooms and their boxers. And they're making and hacking and coding and doing all of these things that we're already doing, but in a different way and using tools that we've never used before. And that is why we see the proliferation of NFTs becoming a multi-billion dollar industry overnight. Same thing with crypto assets, multi-billion dollar in industry overnight. But the reality is, is that all of these technologies that abide within the eco-habitat, they are scaling, but they are still in their infancy. And we'll get into that in a little bit further if time allows, but that's kind of where we're at when we start looking at that. So what happens after this applications renaissance? What happens where all of a sudden you have all of these people that have democratized access to applications? That begins for us to be able to make the tools that now have arrived on the scene. And why is that such a disrupt? Because artificial intelligence has arrived. And what makes that a big deal? Because we have never been this closer to unlocking and understanding physics. Well, I'm definitely not going to get into the physics question because they, I know nothing, but everything else, I would love to kind of touch on this. I made a few notes and I would like to come back to this uh, as time allows. But you know, what, what you described, I want to make it more tangible and real in terms of this uh, the regeneration and the degeneration and the progeneration, because um, I think it's important to kind of just take a minute and think about really how this plays out in practice. And so what came to mind for me is uh, when I took my son out of school, um, there was a there was a period obviously of schooling, then there was a period of de-schooling, and ultimately he became a self-directed learner through unschooling. But the de-schooling process really involved when he was taken out of school that he sat months and months in front of the TV, watching TV, which is something he'd never been able to do because he was always busy. And that was the period where I thought to myself, oh, my God, I have made the greatest mistake of my life, but I just have to trust that we're going to get to the other side of this. So I think, I think we're seeing this a lot in, uh, in technology at the moment where there's so much disillusionment with what we've had to kind of deal with up until now. 
if we talk about the Web2 companies, for example, where it's very predatory, their behavior. And now we have, on the other hand, Web3, where all these amazing promises are being made in terms of how things will be different. However, due to the volatility of the market and just all the nuances of this industry in general, we find ourselves where we continue to be disappointed that product delivery is not, uh, is, you know, as you were saying earlier, there's a differentiation between product and technology. But in Web3, because it's so easy, uh, so early, um, am I still here? Yes. Sorry, I thought my sound dropped. Um, so in, in Web3, we have the technology and we have the product, but those two are so closely aligned uh, that for many people, it's different to kind of uh, difficult to take a step back and go, okay, the product is early, but the technology is sound. So I wonder in terms of this really, really difficult time that we are in now, where there's so much, as you say, degeneration that needs to take place. What do you think... Uh, what are the steps going to look like for us to get to a point of, let's say, more healthy equilibrium closer to the the pro generation that we want to get to, which is a positive stage where we can continue to build? Because I just want to highlight also what you said, that whenever there is a greater amount of information that is when builders start building. So we see this, we see that builders are building, but at the same time, we're in this really awkward phase where there's a lot of negativity and a lot of sort of lost and even false hope. How do we get to this point where people are able to trust in the evolution and the positive evolution of the technology more than they are now? Yeah, sure. And so I think that's a really relevant and, and, and good question. And, you know, let's do what you just said. Let's let's really micro focus and hone in on when we start talking about degeneration. Well, first of all, the concern is is that when there is a degenerative phase, sometimes there's great sacrifice that will happen. And we've heard words and terminology like universal basic income and and, and those are that's a real thing. Because I said it about two years ago, and I've been saying it for ever since, is that what happens when the technology becomes more advanced than a technologist? And so that's now come to pass, is that technology has become so advanced and at such a rapid clip that it has superseded and outdistanced our technologists and our community, including our artists, which are one and the same. In a very powerful way, because you can have art without technology, but you cannot have technology without art. But we'll put a pin in that. But when we talk about this degenerative phase, what we have to be mindful of is that there is a time when the print press all of a sudden showed up in the world. But before that, they had been writing hand letters and quills and ink and all the different things that they would use and have all these different scribes and all these different writers. And when the print press came on the scene, it was terribly disruptive towards many people in the world in different professions. But what also happened is that it accelerated the tempo and the cadence of print media. And so when we arrive to this place where we're at today, when it comes to generative free trade transformers and large language foundational models, what we have to realize is that we have now entered into a much more accelerated fashion and an upgrade in the cadence of technology and the technical advancements itself. And this is why we continue to see these technologies that abide within the Hinkle habitat continue to scale. And let's lean in for a second because all the technologies that we have out here, usually we'll look at just like the metaverse and XR. You mentioned spatial computing earlier, or we'll look at, you know, DeFi and DAOs and NFTs and so many other different technologies that are in market. And we say, okay, these are what abide within the eco-habitat. You may have artificial intelligence that's flanked by machine learning and deep learning and neural networks and smart assistants, so forth and so on. And then we'll have the acronym of XR, which flanked by VR and AR and MRX, you know, and spatial computing and metaverse and all these different types of things. And then we'll do the same thing with fintech. We'll do the same thing with robotics. But the reality is, is that we have much more than just those particular sciences, these applied sciences and technologies that abide within the habitat. I put together the framework and deployed and distributed out this summer 
which brought us into the eco-convergence. And eco-convergence shows forth that we actually have 54 technologies to abide within the eco-habitat, of which each technology has four subsets per technology, bringing us to over 270 different technologies that abide within the eco-habitat. And here's the thing, Nadja. These technologies aren't just sitting there. They're not dormant and they're not new. These technologies have been going through a natural refinement and revision it's themselves. And these technologies are beginning to scale. Well, what happens when these technologies begin to scale? Some are coming into market. But what happens when these technologies begin to scale, but they begin to pair together? And this is what we call the merge pairing. Now, when you take these technologies and pair them together, on a morphous scale, we don't completely know what they'll render out to be. In fact, once they pair together, all of a sudden, now the amalgam of what's been brought together by the pairing of these technologies, when those pair together, that's what we call technological convergence. And so here's the situation at hand. Yes, we're, today we're talking about artificial intelligence. Yes, today we're talking about uh, the metaverse. But what about tomorrow when we bring those two technologies together and we're talking about immersive intelligence? But here's the other thing that we have to be mindful of when we examine the eco-habitat of technology itself by way of eco-convergence is there's only two things. Of those 270 plus technologies and counting, there's only two things that influence each of those technologies. For example, XR does not influence every single technology within the eco-habitat. It does not. Artificial intelligence does. But the only other thing besides artificial intelligence that influences every other technology within the eco-habitat is human intelligentsia, culture, human intelligence. Because why? Artificial intelligence is an extension from human intelligentsia. So rightfully to be said that when we talk about XR and extending reality, we're not just talking about <clears throat> simulations and hyper-realistic environments. What we're really talking about also is artificial intelligence. It is also a subset to extended reality. And the reality is, is that with AI and where we're headed, which many believe that AGI has landed, and that's greatly debated right here in Silicon Valley and elsewhere, whether AGI has landed, we can all agree that superintelligence hasn't. I personally do believe that AGI has arrived and that the Turing test has been met and exceeded and that that bar continues to move. But where we're at right now, is that the defining and the understanding of this technology is moving at such a rapid clip that we are only we are only capable of understanding based on the information that we're given. But here's the rub, and I'll be done with this for the moment. Here's the rub. Right now, the very thing that we seek to understand in this product and this in its progress and scale, this very thing called artificial intelligence is the very thing that stands to be the biggest threat of the information that we generally would retrieve to understand technology itself. Why? Because it's the greatest disruptor to misinformation, disinformation, and the ecosystem of information itself. So now we have a problem on our hands. Yeah, I mean, you touched on so much there, but I think one thing I really want to highlight is well, well, two things, uh, and I'm going to start with the easy one because I think that's the one that I need to ask you as soon as possible. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll ask the second part of the question as well. Um, I think what you highlighted about technology not being a technology or only the technologies that we use, uh, but a much, much bigger set and collective of different technologies, many of which people are not even aware exists. So I think the first thing maybe is really just to define, again, if we think about technology, what is it that we should be thinking about? Um, what is the definition of technology? Uh, so that being the first part. And then the second one, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, and I would like you to also answer the, the question about the definition of technology in the direction of the second question. Um, if you think about these two sort of, all pervasive technologies, AI on the one hand and the human intelligence, the human culture, the human transfer transference that we imbue into all of the products and, and technologies that we build. Um, 
if you think about technology as a definition for AI on the one side, on the one hand, uh, as one of the technologies and human and humanity on the other hand, how are we going to prevent the definition from being skewed only in the direction of the companies building the technologies, which obviously they have their own prerogatives, they have their own incentives to define a technology in a specific way. Whereas obviously, if you think about the human element, then it's something that should be far more inclusive and equitable to make sure that a technology represents everyone uh, that gets involved with it and, and has to use it because, I mean, it's inescapable at this point. Yeah, sure. Totally. And I hear you on that. And let's go there. Let's just lean in and I'm enjoying these questions. Um, they're really spot on and rather apropos. Uh, for those that are with us, I hope that you're still leaning in with us and taking these notes. Um, when we start talking about, in a very particular way of technology, you know, one of the things I set out years ago is I defined myself as an emergent technologist. And when I came to Silicon Valley, I came living out of seat in my car. You know, I was living under my car when I first moved to Silicon Valley because I really wanted to further deep in my understanding of technology. You know, I, I was raised by a technologist, but I wanted to go even further. And when I came to the Valley, I was taught by many women and men uh, that were brilliant technologists and that are brilliant technologists. And I realized that I had such an affinity for wanting to understand on a more rudimentary level, what is technology? This very thing that you ask. And I've wrapped my whole entire career based on technology and humanitarianism. And so when we talk about technology, what we're really talking about on a very light, but very direct and very firm vertical is that we're taking science and we're applying it and we're converting it and making it into a tool. So everything that we use today in the sense of technology that we purchase and that we buy, much of what we're actually using is a part in a piece of science that was once vague and was once in the chaosis state. But we were able to take this science and to be able to break this thing down into a concrete form of understanding. And we were able to take this technology and apply this science and to be able to create tools. Well, what we do with these tools is it now forces the opportunity to go back into this chaos, to go back into what we don't know, this thing called science, and to better be able to further understand its nature and how we can take its nature of science and to better understand what science is on a grander and macro scale. And so where we've arrived today is when we talk about these tools such as GPT, these tools such as virtual reality and augmented reality and using HMDs and headsets and start talking about blockchain layer one. What we're really talking about are breakthroughs in science. But here's the deal. Being that technology is moving at such an accelerated clip, as we talked about earlier, especially the cadence of technology has accelerated. We will one day, sooner rather than later, look at all these things that we find rather astonishing and brilliant, and we will look at them as the value of a hammer or a screwdriver, a tool. They have their place in the development of things, but compared to what we are getting ready to unlock and what we are presently unlocking, all of this that we interact with that we find so innovative is really rudimentary. And the thing that we must take in consideration that we've gone through an ideated phase, a hardware development phase and a software development phase, but the next natural progression that we must adhere to is going through the stage of humanity first. Meaning at this intersection between technology and humanity, for whom we have been ideating and developing and building hardware and software for in the first place, we must take that into consideration because if we do not get a grip on accessibility and education and community development and equity and quality and safety and privacy and wellness and ethics, if we do not lean into that, if we do not make that the first priority for why we're building, then we will have nothing to innovate for. We are out innovating ourselves. 
We are completely so keen in and so focused on disruption that we were quite literally disrupting our own selves. And that is never a good thing. So what part of my mission has been is to create this platform called Gatherverse, which has turned into a massive community, because it seems to me that what is more important than continuing to build disruptive technology that many people don't understand, many people can't afford, many people are losing their own careers and job paths to these things that we disrupt. To me, this is about amplifying human voices. This is about creating real opportunities and experiences for humans and for people so that there's true human betterment protocol, practice, and procedure, and sustainability at hand. And the reality is, is while we continue to say that we've arrived to this nexus point and the crucible of opportunity, we have so much in the world that doesn't even have common Wi-Fi and broadband. And we haven't even unlocked the potential of what it is to give people access to Wi-Fi. And so we are at such a disproportionate um, uh, um, um, weaponization against ourselves that ultimately when we get to the point where we feel like we've arrived to the certain next step, when we start talking about Web 4 and Web 5, we will be hit with the reality that's going to be a very difficult and tough pill to swallow is because we forgot about humanity. And that will come back on us. Yeah, so <laughs> thanks for ending us on a on a light note. Um, I think, you know, these these things that you touch on, they are as difficult as they are to swallow because they really they make us realize just how powerless we can be in the face of all these huge companies and systems that are not necessarily for us because we are the product uh, and then we are sold the products are sold to us with ourselves in it, you know, a sort of data cannibalism. So these are very important and sobering realities. But on the other hand, to make things a little bit lighter, you know, it's the same as uh, climate change. Climate change is happening on a massive scale uh, involving, you know, large corporations and governments. But then the average populace is told, oh, you should switch off your lights and, you know, you should recycle because those are the things that kind of is going to make or break the tipping point. So with technology, it's it's much of the same. We are involved with it at various levels some of us are building products that that speak to the solutions or that speak to you know doing it in a better way but for the average person they are simply consumers of technologies and everything that goes with it so in the face of all of this uh which you know can be it, it can be a damper i mean it can be quite disheartening to think well there's not much i can do what is your what is your advice even, let's say, for someone listening to this and going like, oh my God, there is just so much and who am I? I'm just the average person. Uh, so so how, how to, what message to give this person? And I think I'm including pretty much all of us here because even as someone that works in technology and I know that you know, I'm spending every day focused on building something that will be good for the world, not something that's going to make it even worse than it already is. But even for me, there's these moments of going, well, is there really something we can do in the face of? So what would be your advice to pretty much everyone that feels like this at some time or another? Sure. I'm going to focus on three things you brought up, and I think they're absolutely prevalent. One, you're right about climate. In fact, we're getting to make an announcement at the end of this week. We're launching seven uh, new platforms with Gatherers of one, which is five events that we have coming out. One of those events is called It's Too Late, the Gatherer Summit for Climate. It's too late. Uh, we've reached a threshold according to what we're seeing with science and more. And right now it's about how do we deal with this sea change that's happened in our planet. Listen, you asked how's everything going. I'm in California. We just had quite literally yesterday a hurricane and an earthquake reach our shores. We have flooding in this state that I'm sitting in right now in Southern California, flooded everywhere. 
And so when I start thinking about it's too late when it comes to climate, the number one thing that our focus should be on, if, if you will, when it comes to climate responsibility is alleviation. But let's get into more of the positive opportunities. You know, I was in Germany a few months ago and I was at an incredible symposium by Tübingen University. And there's a person that was talking about Meta. Um, and she said, you know, she's bringing about human trafficking and talking about some of the things that people are allowed to do through its platforms secretly. And to be able to hold Meta accountable for these things that are happening and, you know, for this demand and that demand. And I said, you know, when I got up and did my fireside, because it was it was a discussion that we had with great contestation, and, and that was a, that was welcomed, uh, checks and balances, if you will, to what was said. And it kind of dawned on me in Germany, um, and it's kind of been with me for some time, is that we're afforded and we have never been in such a better opportunity right now. Instead of me trying to take all this energy and try to change Elon Musk, his approach to Twitter, why don't I go build my own? Instead of me trying to get Mark Zuckerberg to do my bidding and to be able to say, hey, you should operate and do with Meta this way and that way or Instagram or any other platform, why don't I go out and build my own platform? We've never had more of an opportunity to democratize access to tools than we do today. And I see people constantly subjecting themselves to Fortune 50 and Fortune 500, and I'm not knocking that. But they subject themselves to these jobs at will where a bunch of people candidly, especially executive leadership, could care less about you or your families. Now is the time through all that's been built and handed down. You've never had a bet. I bet I think you have a better opportunity of going to build your own platform under your own agency and autonomy with success than you have marching inside a Fortune 50 and Fortune 500 company only being let down by a turn of a dime operation. I know so many people here in Silicon Valley in the past three to four months that have been fired and let go of. And these were these weren't just any just simple type of jobs. These were very important positions where you know that they're relevant in today's market. And they were just as easily dismissed as we had supper from last night. And so the reality is, is that we must take advantage of these tools. These aren't just uh uh, hobbyist moves that we're making when we talk about lab to funding and lab to market and the startup culture, we are talking about now this is the way that you need to survive. We need to move from this gig mindset to startup mindset and creating micro economies and centralizing our own communities through human centricity. This is where it's at. So I really am so supportive of those that take the initiative to go and dig in the trenches and chop that type of wood and build out their own platforms with their own opportunities to monetize and leverage and build and collaborate. This has never been a better time to do it now. And let me say this, because now you have AI tools that can do the work of a hundred people. And so the traditional process from lab to funding and lab to market, especially when we talk about acceleration and incubation phases, those have now changed. Your incubation time doesn't have to be four to six months. You can get it on and meet your, you can literally meet your co-founder somewhere in this world, having never met them in person, build a platform, scale, go multinational, and find yourself going through an e-exit acquisition of a multi-billion dollar company and never met your co-founder. This is true. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I'm going to use part of this recording as my alarm in the morning to get me going because it's it's very inspiring in the sense that it's so incredibly true that we are not only talking about a revolution or truly an evolution in technology, but we are also talking about the same thing in just people's ability to be self-sovereign. And I want to go back to what you said earlier about COVID having been this pivotal moment um, because COVID showed people a possibility that many had never had before. Um, some of us have the luxury to work from home. We, we have the luxury to take time off from work. But there are also many people in the world, I mean, most people in the world um, don't know another life other than 
getting up in the morning, going to your workplace, wherever that might be, inside or outside, staying there pretty much the entire day, coming back when you're tired, having to do only a limited few things before you wake up, well, go to bed, wake up and do it all over again. So I think the idea being that COVID unlocked this part in people's brains where, where they went like, wow, you know what? There's actually a different way to live and I like it. Um, so similarly, I think the same is happening in this concept of the microeconomy, which I would love for you to touch a little bit more on and maybe specific to, uh, to the technology industry and really, you know, whether it's Web3, whether it's, uh, or even NFTs more, more specifically, or the entire ecosystem, AI and all of the other emerging technologies that are not as publicly popular uh, as as the ones that I just mentioned. Um, what is a way that the average person can look at this idea of how to create a, bi a micro business? Um, I mean, at a time where, as you say, the, 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 the rise of the big tech companies and the big tech platforms have been with us for a long time. But at the same time, we see uh, the most example, most recent example being Twitter on the one hand and threads on the other, that even if you have the numbers, even if you have the entire huge databases and incredible amount, amounts of, uh, of capital to inject into your platforms, it doesn't necessarily mean that people are satisfied any longer with, you know, these big solutions that are out there. So there is a possibility for more and more people to go elsewhere, to find their community, find their tribe, find their tribe, uh, as, as people say. Um, but you as the average person wanting to build a solution because you don't agree with what the big com tech companies are putting out there, how is this something that can be achieved in a time where, especially with the market being down, there's not as much funding into companies as there used to be. So this is really a very difficult time for founders, for a lot of founders, how to maintain the hope, you know, how to push forward knowing that this is the time to be doing this, as you said. Sure. One of the things, and you brought up, and I'll touch several on several points that you made, and let's lean in and chop this wood. First of all, we have come through this pandemic. And my thing is, why would you come out of a pandemic where there was so much death and so much depression? Why would you want to come out on the other side of that and still do the same things? Why would we? Who wants to do the same things after looking at all of that? I mean, you would think that we would come and emerge and say, listen, I don't want to work and subject myself to abysmal and depressing Fortune 50 and Fortune 500 job where I'm not even happy in dealing with these people and the state of conditions of what they're building. It's like someone wants you to go put down your axe and then pick up their axe to chop wood for their house. I would rather take the time that I have on this earth, grab my axe and chop wood for my own house. Now, let's look into that. When we got into the bubble, the bubble was operated because many startups got a host of information in the 90s. The bubble burst and they were running their startups based on industrial age stated condition. And then that led us through a great to the Great Recession, but it also led us into the economic engine of the world, which began to take place called applications. And these companies that are now multi-billion, even trillion dollar companies became so wealthy overnight that they didn't even have enough time to lay down proper process and policy. In fact, they have so much innovation that's coming there. It speaks to the adage of what happens when the technology becomes more advanced than the technologist. And now that's come to pass. Here's the deal. Now, all these people got fired during the applications renaissance due to the Great Recession, and they also looked at their companies of where they were when they got fired from these Fortune 50, 500 companies, and they were in line at these job interviews of 2,500 people per one job. And you know what happened? There was a New York Times article that came out in 2008, and they said, listen, a bunch of people stood around the circle of a table, and Sarah said, hey, Billy, how much do you have? I've got 15 bucks. And Billy said, hey, Matt, how much do you have? I've got 20 bucks. And Matt said, hey, Rebecca, how much money do you have? I got 30. Okay, let's create a startup. They had more confidence in their own selves 
in the application's renaissance than they did going back and subjecting themselves to the incompetency that awaited for them at Lehman Brothers and all these other platforms. They would rather have gone out and hacked it on their own and collaborated and built startups. And some of these startups, in fact, many of these startups became incredibly wealthy. Well, where does that mean? What does that mean right now in this present day? Because you mentioned there's not, listen, there is a lot of money out here. There is a lot of deal flow if you know how to get it. People say, well, I, I don't know how to get my proper pitch deck and I don't need to get, listen, I've seen deals done on based on what's written on the back of a napkin. Don't tell me that you have to go create the most perfect pitch deck and have to get the perfect 90-second elevator pitch. Stop listening to too much of the Gary Vaynerchuk and get out there and handle what you need to handle and go out there and pitch and find the money because it's out there. Companies, corporations, public sector, private sector, venture capitalists. It's one of the reasons why Gatherverse just a month ago announced our $300 million human capital fund. Why? Because I believe that we need to find better and quicker ways for people to get money and guidance and mentorship, especially for the ones that haven't been on this path before. A lot of people are on the primrose path when it comes to building technology because they don't know what they're doing. They read, they read a Sam Altman book. They come over here to Silicon Valley and they think that they're ready to go and throw down on Sand Hill Road and raise a bunch of capital and loot. And they find themselves moving back to the Midwest or whatever state that they came from because they found out how difficult it is. But for some, the ones that have really dotted their I's and crossed their T's and got good information, they came out here and they found success. But here's the deal. It's not just going to be handed to you. But we have so much democratized access available, and we're able to live and operate and move in certain ways that we never have been before. The new standard for how we live in this hybrid economy Dead ass that you literally legitimately can meet your co-founder on the other side of the world and she and you can come together, brainstorm, build based on the platforms that we have through telepresence and communication, build out your platform, iron out the details and go straight to market and earn your capital instead of always thinking that we need to go with investor capital. Carry and keep intact your whole pie, your whole entire pie instead of giving out a slice here to this guy a slice here to that gal, keep your pie, grow your platform and hire people and build your small micro economy. That is very doable in this world. And we're not, listen, the tools that are available today are only going to get better. And this is the thing. This isn't necessarily the alternative option that we're talking about. I'm talking about we need to start adapting to the mindset that this is the only way that we have to go because companies are becoming less forgiven. They're not giving you as many lattes as they used to. They realize how much money did we just save by going on lockdown? How many cups of coffee did we not have to pay for? Oh, Pinterest just gave a 90, gave up a $90 million lease in San Francisco and said, hey, we found that we have a better opportunity to build virtually than in person. We're not going back to doing business as usual the way that we went. All those people that worked for Twitter, I sat across the table from the global head of accessibility of Twitter. She thought she was good and comfortable. They Look, Twitter came out in the beginning of the pandemic and said, hey, You'd never have to go back and work again. Oh, that's until we sell the whole platform and that changed the game. Who wants to be subjected to the wiles of man when you can actually run your own platform, taking advantage of all of these tools that we've been that we've been making and hacking and coding all this time for? What did we do it for? Well, we did it so that you would have a fair shot. That you're not subjected to 1% business dealings, that you can actually build and govern your own platform and hire your own people and set your own standard and your own rules today. But just remember, when you're building it, always take in consideration to build with humanity first. That's accessibility, education, community development, safety, privacy, wellness, ethical considerations. Do it the right way, and you will find a friend in this world. You will find support in this world. If not by the Gatherverse community, there are communities global-wide that you don't even know that exist that are an advocate for you. So I'm all about chopping that wood and helping lead this evolution, because now is the time for people to speak and stand in their square and get in the trenches and do this together. We cannot do this alone. So I think when I said earlier that I was going to use a clip from this interview uh, as my alarm clock in the morning, I think uh, the number of people who will be doing that just jumped. 
Uh, Christopher, you, you're so right because I think to, to go back to something you said earlier, um, we came from this industrial age thinking and brought that into Web 1. But I feel that in Web 3, we have a very unique sort of thinking where the money, you know, the money was flowing so easily at some point, And it does every time that there's a bull market that founders, when it is a bear market as it is now, it's almost a all or nothing, black or white, you know, either all the money is there or there's no money there. Whereas in AI, I speak to so many different founders that do bootstrap and do get the product ready to market and out there before they even think about funding. So what is it about Web3 specifically that we can change these mindsets so that people do think about it in a more long-term sustainable basis and do focus more on building even when the funding is not there? Yeah, sure. I think that's a great question. And one of the things that we have to be mindful of is when we talk about Web3, we're talking about an ecosystem. We're not just talking about tools. And in this ecosystem, what we're really headed into, and this is exciting, what we're really heading into is the animate economy. Meaning that in this virtual ecosystem of interaction and communication, there is a decentralized agency that people will enter into the metaverse, especially once we get the interoperability of the open metaverse standards really ironed out and powered. And it's AI powered too. Once we get this thing ironed in and we're in this transitionary phase, remember the degenerative stage, and then we're also going at the self-same time into the regenerative phase. Well, what does that mean? That means the old way of doing business is fading, it's dying, it's transitioning. And there's great sacrifice that comes with that. Universal basic income is gonna be needed our artists are under assault right now, not just our writers that are protesting in the world that's already lost billions of dollars because of these protests. But we're also talking about their designers and graphic artists and our developers are going to be under assault soon because we're democratizing code and, 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 the, and the capability to develop, uh, especially with AI-powered tools. But, but here's the deal, the animate economy, that we're going to be able to operate within this virtual ecosystem of interaction and communication. And within this ecosystem, there's going to be buy, sell, and trade. And we're not just going to be subjected to fiat. And we're not going to be necessarily completely using crypto assets. We're going to have real-world assets, one-to-one opportunities. And we're going to operate and buy, sell, and trade within this ecosystem of interaction and communication in this animate economy. But, but here's the deal. Once you establish buy, sell, and trade within the metaverse, the natural next thing that must come is ethics. Now, ethics come from morals. Morals are brought in by each and every single individual that interacts within this ecosystem. And from these rules stem ethics, meaning agreed upon rules. And once these rules must be set, because you have buy, sell, and trade, and commerce, and barter, and all the different things that come with that, you have to create public and private sector governments that will form, meaning that we will one day soon refer to whole entire virtual communities and states of existence within the virtual spectrum. We will refer to that commonly as we may refer to Paris, as we may refer to Texas. Why? Because we are creating new boundaries and borders unlike anything that we've seen before. And we are defining this wild west, this new frontier right now as we speak. Many of us will not appreciate the magnitude of what we are innovating today until many years down the road. And you will look back at this time and say, I was part of that. And I had no idea that I was actually contributing to that. And we're going to be operating within this virtual ecosystem of interaction and communication with decentralized public sector and private sector governments and orders of business. Unlike anything we've ever operated before, and fiat is going to be challenged, and it's already being challenged significantly, but through this crypto winter, if you will, the bull, that natural refinement that brings us into intermediary currencies such as real-world assets, brings us deeper into tried and tested crypto assets, that is going to be a game change. But then you might ask yourself, well, what happens when we have this virtual ecosystem of interaction and communication, this animate economy, then what happens? What proceeds after that? 
Well, naturally what happens is that it goes into Web4. Web4 brings us into AI automation. Now we're going to have a lot of time on our hands because we don't have to be as hands-on as we used to because our AI symbionts are going to be carrying that workload for us. Well, then what happens with that? And AI automation sets in. Now that brings us into Web5. Now we're talking about physics. Now we're talking about something completely different, which many of us aren't equipped to be able to even fathom or touch upon. By then, we'll probably be knocking on the door of high AGI, artificial general intelligence, or even super intelligence. But here's the deal. Now is the time to build your brand, your platform, and find ways to monetize. Why? Because you have to start looking at this is your village. This isn't just another startup. Well, what a beautiful note to end off with before I go to, unfortunately, the only question that we have time for today. Uh, but I think you'll agree with me. Christopher definitely has to come back on the show because I have about 50 million questions left to ask. Uh, so this one is from Stephoria. And I think it's a good question to kind of bring us full circle from the very beginning of the show where we spoke about what is the metaverse uh, and so the question is, how do you envision the metaverse impacting the way we communicate, collaborate, and interact with each other in the real world? Can you say that again? It broke up just a little. Forget, I, I'm sorry. No, no worries. So the question is, how do you envision the metaverse impacting the way we communicate, collaborate, and interact with one another in the real world? Sure. So the metaverse is the intermediary position that when we think about, and this goes full circle to how we kick this off talking about ethnography, the idea was never for us just to stare and tap, tap and stare at our devices. The idea is to one day get inside of our devices and operate within them. You know, the greatest developed technology in the past three decades, undoubtedly, the greatest and the most refined has been the power of communication. What the metaverse will do is to hope is that it serves as a bridge for communicating and delivering and receiving to one another. Well, what does that mean? That means that we have an opportunity to create bridges into places that we didn't even know that existed. And not just products, but information. Information one to another, but more so culture. Remember, when we talk about culture, cross-cultural communication, intercultural development, what we're really doing is we're talking about exchanging from one to another information that goes beyond AI and Python and all these other things that we find so fascinating. Why is this? Listen, I hope everyone's listening to this. Here we go. Why is this? Because the number one thing that AI will never be able to do, it will never be able to duplicate, is the human code. It's human genetics. It's human DNA that's been passed down through the ages and dispensations of time. And what we want to do is create more bridges to be able to communicate and exchange that with one another. And that can never be duplicated by artificial intelligentsia. It can only be facilitated by artificial intelligentsia. And so while we're building and making and hacking and coding, always remember humanity first standards is the way to go. And the greatest code that we have on this planet is the human code. I hope someone got something out of what was said. Christopher, well, I can only say thank you because any other words uh, would fall flat. Not that thank you is any better, but it absolutely comes from the bottom of my heart. I think that 
the the many different areas that you touched on today uh, are so incredibly pertinent and I would genuinely love to pick up this conversation uh, in the future as well because I think there's just so much to unpack that one hour is not nearly enough. Um, so I'm sure that after the show, there's a lot of folks uh, either listening live or on the on the podcast afterwards who would love to stay connected to you. So before I say goodbye to you, where is the best place uh, that folks can follow you and just stay up to date with your thoughts and what it is that you're doing with Gatherverse and other projects? Sure. Link with me on LinkedIn. Obviously, I'm there and I hope that you're there too. And then obviously here uh, on X, I don't know for how long I'm going to be here on X, <laughs> just to keep it real, but uh, Chris or ChristopherLafayette.com. And if you're on WhatsApp, one six five zero four four one two five two zero, lock in. Let's chop it. Let's figure out how we do this together. Awesome, guys! To the audience, uh, live or recorded, yeah, very, very much appreciative, uh, much appreciated, and just a huge thank you from me for joining us each week uh, as we speak to all of these incredible minds. So I will thus catch you again next week for another episode of the Future of NFTs brought to you by Adlunum. Cheers, guys. And Christopher, much love. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you. Peace. You've been listening to the Future of NFTs. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming platform like Spotify or iTunes. Connect with Adlunum on Twitter at Adlunum Inc. or our website, adlunum.cc.